0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and ugly ducklings everywhere lining up for auditions to Swan Lake. Live from the annual Calico meeting at the Kellogg Center at Michigan State University, it's Thursday at 3 o'clock in time for Tea with BVP. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, BVP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, international superstar and the diva of SLA. With me in the exhibit hall of Calico are my partners in crime, and honestly, sometimes a show is a crime, are Walter <laughs> Hopkins and Angelica Kramer. Say hi. Come on. Say hi. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. You say that. Say something different.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Everybody. All right. Uh,
0: what happened to your German introduction? You, you say something in German. Angel- some, uh, okay, Angelica's talking.
2: Hello zusammen, wie geht es euch?
0: There we go. Danke
2: schön, danke schön. Teresa, also wirklich. Yeah,
0: Oh my gosh, we got a crowd here. Well, we, as you can tell, we're live in the exhibit hall of Calico. And for those of you out there in the uh, listening uh, audience who don't know what Calico is, Calico st- is an acronym for the computer Assisted Language Instruction Consortium. And if you want to find out more about Calico, go to calico.org and learn all about what they do. And I think we need some Calico jokes today. Don't we need some Calico jokes? Yes. Like like the following. Calico is the perfect place to find out about technology. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? That's uh, <laughs> yeah. yes. exactly. perfect. Really exactly. There you go. Okay. Or, like, getting language, he should learn about technology is like herding cats. Get it? Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Get it? Okay, never mind. All right. So I have to tell you guys, I have to tell Walter, Angelica, I was on the phone this weekend with two of our biggest fans out there. Guess who?
2: Emma is our biggest fan. Well, Lance.
0: She, Emma's left us. So Emma's like, okay, no, I'm just kidding. So, no, who, who out yeah, Lance, there?
2: Lance, as, as Walter was saying.
0: Okay, well, okay, I said two of our biggest fans, not our two biggest fans. Oh, um, uh, Mikey. Mikey was one, and guess who else? Eric. Eric. Yes, I spoke to Mikey and Eric. They called me from Phoenix. Nice. And it was fun. We had a great phone call. I won't tell you why they were together. It's a, it's a long story, but they were asking me the most indiscreet questions over the phone. <laughs> I cannot tell you what they were. They had, were asking me all kinds of questions about my personal life. i not about my personal life, but you know what they actually asked me? What's that? They want to know how old I was. I want to know how old you are. They kept they, well. They kept saying because we think you're pretty old, but you look pretty good. I go, just keep saying that. That's the part. <laughs> of how, But but I mean, they really got nosy, and they were talking. They were just they were cracking me up because those two, well they were drinking at the time, so who knows. Hmm. Anyway, so this is our last show of the season. Can you believe it? Crazy. Relief. But what I can't believe. <laughs> relief. <laughs> and I was just about to say I can't believe we're still all talking to each other, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> Why do you say relief? Oh,
1: I'm just kidding. You better be it's kidding. It's very sad. I'm you know, I'm starting to tear up over here.
0: Oh uh, yeah. You're you're spitzing over there in your eyeballs, I can tell. No, I I just I think it's kinda I can't believe we've been going on since October. Look how many shows have we had? I mean Twenty-seven, 27 shows, my gosh. And we are still standing, I can't believe it, and it's just Where getting sitting, actually. bigger and bigger and better. Thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners out there, and uh, lots and lots of fans. Our meme contest last month was great, um, and the contest before that with the uh, ads was great too, so we are excited about what we're doing. We are sad, though, that we have to take a hiatus this summer. If we all had paying jobs, if Daniel around the summer and Walter around the summer, then we could continue, but alas! We need to take vacation. So I will tell you at the end of the show when we're coming back, because I just made up a date. I hope you all agree with it, but I just made it up. I like it. (laughs) I made up a date, so you're all going to be there no matter what. Got it. Okay, Luca and Dan, I want you to write this date down when I give it later, because you have to be there. This week, we have no topic this week. This is a free-for-all. We're here at Calico. We're not going to talk about technology unless people want to talk about technology, but this is a free-for-all for for anybody who wants to... um, to ask us questions about anything that he or she would like to ask us about. We have no phone calls, because we're live in an auditorium, so we do not have our phone lines in here. So you have to mixlerize your questions, or you have to tweeterize your questions, you have to emailerize your questions, you have to do something to contact us that way, because we cannot take your phone calls, sorry about that. But we do have a live, well, they look kind of live, I was gonna say a live audience, but that guy in the back row that I'm not too sure about, you know, he kind of looks like, you need a pick me up, is that coffee in your hand? What kind? of? It's not flavored coffee, is it? Is it regular coffee? Good. Is that have cream in it? No? no? Oh, darn. It. I was going to say give it it's to me, but black. never mind. If anybody wants to give me a cup of coffee with some cream in it, I'll, that'd be fine. <laughs> hint, hint, Dustin. Okay. Um, so we're not taking phone calls this week. You think I'm kidding? So get, get over there and get some coffee. That's right there. In, right there some... <laughs> No, that one's cold already. <laughs> okay, so Brian's going to get me coffee. Thank you, Brian, very much. Anyway, so we'll take uh, questions live from the, from the exhibit hall audience here. We hope they'll ask us questions. And we also have our two standard quizzes. We have our SLA challenge quiz, which with this August, and informed crowd should be fun. This should be a breeze for everybody. Um, so I expect at least one person. Thank you, Brian. I love you. I'm gonna have your children, thank you. Um, <laughs> So, um, so that should be a, that SLA challenge quiz should be a breeze for people. And in honor of the exhibit or where we are today, the conference. Thank you, Angelica. Um, we are going to have a special calico quiz, but in honor of the acronym calico, it's not about technology. This special quiz is all about cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the perfect quiz for this venue. I got that in twice, Angelica. What do you think? Amazing. Amazing. Isn't that great? You didn't think I could do that, did you? So hopefully some lucky person from the audience here will step up and take one of those two quizzes and win some tea with BBP swag. Here's an example of what we have to give away today. Do you like these mugs? These are special BBP mugs for, for live shows like this. But before we start, I'm actually going to read a letter from someone I got recently that really touched me in a number of ways. I can't read the entire letter it was kind of long. Plus, I don't want to identify the person too much. And she has a question she wants to ask me that I don't think I'm going to address live over the air. But it, it, it touched me because of what she said about her own particular circumstance. She says, Dear VBP. When she starts, Dear VBP. VBP? It, b, b, yeah, it reminded me of that. <laughs> Remember Rosanna, Rosanna Dana? They were Rosanna, Rosanna Dana. Remember that, uh, that character on SNL? No. You were you probably weren't <laughs> even alive. You weren't I, alive. I've
1: never watched SNL. So
0: oh gosh, Walter. Gosh, Walter. You're killing me. Angelica, you never have you watched Hath- SNL? I I actually have. Oh, okay. So, do you know who Rosanna no. Rosanna Dana is? No. She's a okay. character from the 70s. Okay, so Victoria knows. Thank you very much. She was, uh, uh, Gilda Radner played her, and she had that frizzy hair, and she goes, My name is Rosanna Rosanna Dana. I got an email, uh, not a, it would have been a regular mail, right? I got a letter here from someone in Fort Lee, New Jersey. That's how she would talk, right? Anyway, so this so letter comes. Read it to us like that. Yeah, well, dear, dear BVP, this letter comes from one of our listeners, Linda, and she said the following Dear BVP, well, I can't even do my own initials. BVP thank you very much vp you know i thought they're too, that's too literate something's wrong with that i gotta change my name to like i don't know what steven sungquist or something on what oh my god then i'd be ss that's terrible okay <laughs> i'm writing on the off chance that you will have a moment to give me a suggestion <laughs> stop listening to the show no um like many others i've become an avid listener and re-listener that means she listens more than once pay attention to that, of your podcast and recommend it anytime I get the opportunity. I've also read your book, Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen. No plug on my part. She actually put that in the letter. I've also read your book, Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen. It has influenced my teaching, but rereading it this summer in the light of what I'm hearing will be beneficial. I like that she's integrating, triangulating her data. That's great. Uh, I won't go into the many ways that you talk about me in your podcast. I've never met Linda. I don't talk about Linda. I never talk about anybody. Well, I might talk about that guy with the coffee again. I don't know. We'll see. But I never talk about anybody in particular. So she's actually talking about a type, okay? So she says this, being much closer to retirement than to the beginning of my career, I could just choose to continue doing things as usual, which, by the way, has gotten me great teaching reviews from my students with whom I usually joy enjoy excellent relationships. But I could also choose to enjoy more than ever my precious remaining time in the classroom and to perhaps influence teachers around me in the city she lives in, uh, both those that I supervise in our lower division French courses at X University and those that I have contact with in the public schools. I would like to move to the latter. Isn't that neat? I just, that really touched me. So she says, I'm on the end of my career here and I could choose to just coast to the end. And she goes, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to start making some changes in the time I have left in myself and what I do. And, I, I, and the fact that she says that when we talk about people and do things, that it speaks to people like her or about her, I just think that's great. Um, I won't read you the rest of the letter because then it goes into things that she wants to do about summer conferences and so on, which, which um, I, don't, you know, I don't think we, we want to go into here, but she does say, for those of you who like to write to me, I know you're busy. I deeply appreciate any recommendation that you can give me. Students who send me emails complaining about a course, please take note. I know that you're busy. I deeply appreciate any recommendation that you can give me. We like letters that end like that. So thank you, Linda. That was nice. Nice of you to write in. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. All right. I guess we can sort of get into some, do I have any topics or questions or people? Is Eric Is Eric or Mikey on, on Mixler already, I bet? <laughs>
2: I don't know. Hard to tell here. I wish I have we could 12
0: ta-
1: pages of questions. I wish we,
0: in. I wish we, I um, 12 pages of questions, My I got like the 12 apostles over there, each one wanting something from me. Okay. Um, I, I wish we actually could take phone calls, but we can't. So we're going to ask the audience, by the way, um, since we're not taking questions, anytime you want to ask a question, you come step right up over here to this chair and sit right there, and when we signal you, you can just speak to that microphone and ask your question. As though you're on the phone, we do not give out last names, Todd. Todd. Um, so you can come up and ask a question. Nobody know who it is, except for those here in the live viewing audience. And also, Luca, uh, Luca, raise your hand. Okay, Luca is running around. If you want to ask a question via our handy-dandy cue card thing that Luca is doing, he will write your question down and hold it up, and I'll squint and go like... Okay, I think it's an E. I think it's a T. No, um, I will try to answer the question he holds up. Okay, so let's start with. Do uh, we have an email question or a mixer question or something? Sure. Otherwise, I have to announce the pub crawl. I'll do that later. <laughs> okay. All right. Ask me something. As this question is from is
1: Rosana. 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 And Rosana, Rosana, says, Rosana says, "Am I good at speaking in other languages because I have a gift for languages? Is it possible to possible to be naturally gifted in speaking foreign languages?" End of question.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> That means you need to answer now. That's a really good question. Come on. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Sorry. I'm done now.
0: Here, Just do me a favor. Run your face into my hand, please. Okay. Um, (laughs) Was it Rosanna who asked that question? Yep. Okay, Rosanna. Rosanna, that's a really good question. Um, There's a whole field of research called individual differences. And people for years have been trying to figure out what it is about individuals that makes some people better or faster, more prone to, less prone to, less fast, and all that kind of stuff uh, in terms of language acquisition. Anecdotally, we don't really have any scientific evidence on this that I know of. If anybody in the audience does, let me know. Uh, But we don't have any scientific evidence on uh, what we call super learners. There used to be research back in the 70s, God, i have been around so long, 70s and early 80s, called what the good language learner can tell us. Uh, But nobody could ever really identify what it was the good language learner had they could talk about some of the behaviors, like did they spend extra time doing stuff? Did they use flashcards? Did they like, speak to native speakers? What did they do? But nobody could say if there was any talent they had or some particular trait they had internal to them that made them uh, better language learners. So my belief in interacting with people over the years is there is some weird language gene or language learning gene that some people have that just makes them weird. Larry K- Selinker actually said this back in his interlanguage paper back in 1972 that most people are always going to be non-native-like in some way, and that there might be somewhere he said about five percent, but I think he might be a little, little, what's the word, overestimating on that, five percent of the population who can actually become native-like and be good. That would be the kind of people Rosanna's talking about have a talent for language learning, um, and we just don't know who they are. We don't know how to identify them until they. St- they speak, and we go, oh, that's one of those 5% people. So, Sorry, Rosanna, no, no research on that they can answer for you. But I think, yes, there are people that are just special. Special. They're special people. <laughs> special All people. All right. I, I got
1: a question like a from question.
2: Mixler. Yeah, Lance is asking, how important is repetition of input? For example, there is a phrase students need to know in order to complete a task. How concerned are you with providing repetitions of that phrase during some kind of partially communicative activity? Is there a goal of repetitions?
0: Lance, first of all, Lance, Lance, as we say in Michigan, Lance, we have to flatten those vowels, right? Lance. Okay, Lance, first of all, we don't talk about repetition of the input because that sounds kind of, 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 smacks of what, Angelica? Repetition, smacks of.
2: I have no idea. It doesn't sound good.
0: We'd like to talk about frequency. So I think, Lance, what you want to say is how frequent should things appear in the input for learners to begin to. Um, be able to use them in some way. Uh, the answer to that question is we have no idea. What we do now that in the bigger picture of learning things about language that some things stick in your head after a few instances, some things take thousands and thousands of exemplars and in the input in different contexts for you to get them. Um, and so for you to, I think is actually talking about if you're trying to like get learners to a task where they're using language. Mm-hmm. Um, so then how much do you have to be doing something with your own input to get to the point where they can do something? Um, there's just, there's absolutely no number, Lance, that we can give you. None. That's probably a researchable topic, but again, it's going to depend. There, there's going to be no one answer because... Um, Even with like concrete, just look at lexical items, Lance. So concrete versus abstract nouns, for example, and concrete versus abstract verbs and so on. Um, there, There seems to be some evidence that concrete things are learned faster than abstract things. But then within those abstract and concrete things, that's not necessarily the case because some things within those categories are learned faster than others. And some of those, there's cases of abstract things learned faster than concrete things. So... Um, no magic number, Lance. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Just talk a lot and have fun. Just have fun. There we go. I like it. Okay. Ready for another one? Yeah, we got to get somebody in the audience here. Uh, Lance, I was going to say Lance. Luca, that's your job. You got to get somebody up here and ask a question. Round somebody up. Okay.
1: This one is from Krista. She says, "What is your opinion concerning, concerning heritage speakers in lower-level language classes? Should these students take a proficiency placement test so they can begin at a level adequate to their knowledge level?" or do you feel it is acceptable and or beneficial to the other students to allow them in the introductory classes?
0: That's a hot potato. As a, as a former heritage language learner myself, I was one of those kids. I was placed in just very little Spanish class, and I probably shouldn't have been, but I was. Um, and yeah, I know everybody says, I'm Van Patten, you're a heritage speaker? Yes, I am. Um, and so uh, th- I think that it all depends on how many people you have, what your goals are. Again, these questions are not, So there's no clear-cut answer to some of these questions because the questions have much more complex stuff attached to them. And I mean, so if you want, if you want to have your your students who are less proficient, maybe with heritage speakers, or more proficient to interact, because the heritage speakers, assuming they have those interactive abilities, because not all heritage speakers do, assuming they do, then it would be beneficial to have them in class with the non-native, non-heritage speakers to provide uh, to help move things along. Maybe not, it dep- again, it depends on what your goals, how you teach, uh, what your curriculum looks like, all kinds of things. Um, but uh, you also have to be careful politically, I think, because with heritage speakers, you do not want to single people out as a group or class of people and say, you are X, therefore we don't want you in our language class. That would be terribly, terribly wrong to do. It would be. All right. You grounds for some, you know what, grievance. Grievance. We don't want grievance. The G word, grievance. Don't want that. Grievance. Um, I I got a question against who? I don't know. I just want to file a grievance. I feel like suing somebody.
2: (laughs) It's the American thing? It's, I mean. Who
0: can I, I want to sue somebody. Who can I sue?
2: I have a question from Eric. Eric. Is that Eric, Eric? Eric, Eric. Eric, Eric. Hey, Eric. So the question is, he he starts with, here is a quote-unquote harder question. What does BVP say about the role of quote-unquote noticing? And he references Schmidt in acquisition.
0: That, Eric. In
2: 60 seconds and go.
0: Eric, I'm about to out you. I'm going to give you your last name, your address, where you live for asking that question. People are going to hunt you down. Okay, um, so repeat the question because I just talked over it and people forgot the question already, so at least I did.
2: What do you say (laughs) about the role of noticing in acquisition?
0: The role of noticing in acquisition, for those of you out there who have never heard that term, noticing refers to um, the idea that in acquisition, learners have to, for lack of better terms, notice things in the input in order for them to acquire them. It's the term's a little bit problematic because it's not clear what noticing actually means. Um, Some kind of conscious registration, some kind of um, awareness of that thing and the input. Um, It's kind of a fuzzy term. And unfortunately, when, when Dick Schmidt first, and I was the culprit who got Dick involved in thinking about noticing back in the early 90s for from some work I was doing. Um, But uh, when Dick first launched the noticing hypothesis in 1990, since then, like many constructs over time, it has evolved. Not because Dick Schmidt's thinking has evolved necessarily, but because people appropriate a term, start to use it differently than it was originally conceived. So we have to be careful how we talk about noticing. Now, with that said, no matter what definition of noticing or what concept of noticing you have, I differ with a lot of people. I don't put a lot of stock of noticing um, except for learners' attempts to get meaning. So learners might notice something in the sense of consciously or uh, aware of it because at that particular point in time, they're tagging meaning on it. That means X. It could be a lexical item. It could be something. Like, oh, Walter just said, I think, that, I think Walter's talking in the past tense. I make some, con- I have no idea what he did. Um, but noticing is problematic because as, as uh, John Trushcott has said, and I know I'm way over my 60 seconds on Gallica. But as John Truscott, Druscott has said, what is it that you actually notice? So let's say you, you're, you, people want to say you notice the past tense form. What does it mean to notice, be aware of that past tense form? Are you aware of its shape, its phonology? Are you aware of the fact that it's tied to finiteness? Do you actually go, ooh, the verb is finite. Therefore, there must be an IP an inflectional phrase that has a T in it with a plus value, strong, so, you know, is that what you actually notice? What is it that you notice when you notice something? It's a really problematic term, and it, and it gets bandied about a lot because I think, as I've said in the past, and I'm not the only person who said this, there's too much SLA work that doesn't talk about language and the nature of language for us to actually be able to be precise about things like noticing. So um, so I'm not, I'm not big on using that term, and um, I try to avoid it. Uh, and not get involved in the controversy because I'm not sure it's, it's not going to get me anything in what I do, um, the kind of work I do. So there.
2: Good deal. Thank S- you. Sorry, Dick.
0: Dick's, Dick Schmidt's a good friend of mine. So. All right. Nobody in the audience is going to come up here and talk? Hema, I'm going to make you come up or,
2: here say, Or take one of our quizzes.
0: Or take one of our quizzes, yeah. Hema's an SLS student, a doctoral student in the program. I should make her take the SLA quiz and see what happens. Now I'm not going to make okay. her do that. Here she comes. Oh, look,
2: look at that. Oh, look.
0: Hema's coming up here. Great. Uh-huh. She is actually. Hema, for everybody who wants to know in the audience and also out there in the listening audience, Hema works uh, with Sue Gass uh, and me on the journal Studies in the Second Language Acquisition. She's one of the um, editorial assistants. Hi, Hema. How are you doing? Hi, Bill. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, you look like you're quivering. <laughs> <I am. laughs> I'm so happy to be, 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 be here.
1: Okay. Oh, be kind. Yeah. It's, uh,
2: it. it's an, an impromptu <laughs> impromptu question now. Looking That's at okay. all the questions and your responses, so I have two kids and they are at different levels of acquiring their English uh, at an ESL setting now. And my question was related to uh, what uh, your opinion about critical period hypothesis is, and is there really a critical period, or um, does it um, work? for different aspects of language learning at different levels, or there is one critical period and after that period is over you do not learn any skills or any aspects of language at all?
0: Okay. I can tell you I can tell you what I believe the research says from my reading of all the research, is that there's no such thing as a singular critical period where by the age of 12 or 13 or 14 things just shut off, you know, and you can't learn language anymore. That I think the research is pretty clear that that's not the case. Um, the research tends to look more like there's some kind of gradual decline. And it, it, it's not just the simple linear thing where things decline like this. It's more like plateaus. It's like my body. I've noticed my body, over the, every decade <laughs> my body takes a dip, then it plateaus for a while, then it goes down again and it plateaus for a while. And I think, what? It's true. It's the way you get to be my age, Walter. How old are you? We don't know See your it. age, yes. I mean. I want to see Walter look as good as me when he's my age. I want to see that. <laughs> anyway. I so, hope to be dead by then. So that, so, <laughs> <laughs> so keep it up. It may be sooner than you think. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so the, so what the research seems to look like is that things plateau and then go down and plateau over, so age, so it's not like this, just a steady decline. And there seems to be some kind of time on task thing. With that said, there does, there, there is also research that, that makes it look like different aspects of language are more subject to some kind of age effect than others. So for example, what we call narrow syntax or syntax seems to be absolutely unaffected by um, age. Um, Morphological properties and and the interface between morphology and syntax also seems to not be affected. But what does seem to be uh, affected is the production of morphology. So you can internalize, you can have an actual linguistic system in your head that looks native-like, but what comes out of your mouth may be non-native-like so there could be a critical period effect in terms of what we call uh, spell out during you know real-time language or something but there's nothing wrong with what's actually in your head and then there are um, some uh, some some aspects of the sound system that seem to be affected by critical period, but other parts do not so it's a really complex question so there seems to be something about age and language acquisition but it's not a critical period as classically conceived. So,
2: so can we say then uh, there are multiple critical periods for different aspects of language?
0: I think that would be the safest thing to say, that there are different critical periods for different aspects of language. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I think there are some people who would agree with that. Thank you, Bill. Sure, you're welcome. OK, I'll put that on your QRP. <laughs> 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 no, just, I, we don't ask questions. They just write papers and turn them in. So. <laughs> he was going to go, you're not going to be on my committee, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, can I take it? Okay, let me, let me do a public announce- service announcement here, because if I don't do this, Luke is going to yell at me. Okay, um, so this is a public announcement from Calico, for those of you here and those of you in the in listening uh, range. Join the Calico Pub Crawl. Of course, Luke would want me to announce this. Join the Calico Pub Crawl, Friday, May 13th. You're going to meet here in the Kellogg Center lobby at 6 p.m., Location number one is TAPS 25. TAPS 25, it sounds like somebody's dying. Okay, TAPS 25 at 6.30 p.m. That's gonna be at uh, 414 East Michigan Avenue in Lansing. Location number two, after you're done at TAPS 25, you'll be at the Beer Grotto. See a theme emerging here? 7.30 p.m. And that is at 500 East Michigan Avenue in Lansing. And finally, location number three is American Fifth. You'll be there at 9 p.m. at 112 North Larch Street, Lansing. Regardless, just meet in the lobby at Kellogg Center at 6 p.m. and follow the parade. So to participate, pick up your Calico Pub Crawl button at the CELTA Clear booth here in the Exhibit Hall. And uh, they will provide bus tickets. Oh, I guess you don't have to crawl. It's not. A, this is a lie. It's not a pub crawl. It's a pub bus.
2: No, no, no. The bus will take us downtown, and then we will crawl.
0: Oh, okay. Then you'll crawl. Okay. It's a
2: bus crawl. Oh, okay. I get it. Okay,
0: okay. Did you ever see that movie about those British guys going from pub to pub, at the, fighting the zombies? Or just robot things. I forget that. It's really funny. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Tag your... (laughs) And as part of this, please tag your social posts with hashtag CalicoPubCrawl. Okay, there we go. So six o'clock in the lobby tomorrow, Friday, May 13th. Oh, god! tomorrow's Friday the 13th. Oh, my God. Wow. If I was superstitious, I'd be worried. Walter, you should be worried. Okay. okay. Do we have another question or I comment? have a question from a student. Okay. All right. Then we, need write, a, we need another audience question. So, Luca, round somebody up. Okay. Go ahead.
1: She wr- writes this question in Spanish. So, I'm going to read it to you in Spanish. And she says she's going to be listening to, hopefully listening live today. This but what is if from, not everybody out there speaks Well, we can translate We can translate it. says the following. This student says, hola, me llamo Cassidy. Soy una estudiante de señora, and I won't say the last name. Y estuve en la noche en DVE cuando hablaste por Skype con nosotros.
0: Oh, yeah, I did a uh, PTA student talk by Skype a couple weeks ago. Okay, go ahead. Tengo una pregunta Denver, for Denver. sobre
1: la adquisición de lenguaje. ¿Cuándo sabes si un estudiante es fluidez? Translate, please. Okay. So i no, see how good you are. Why don't
0: you do it? No, I'm going see how good you are. I stopped paying attention ten, 10 seconds Cassidy. ago. Hello, my
1: name is Cassidy. i I'm a student of Mrs. <clears throat> and I was at the DVE night, whatever that is, when you spoke to us by Skype. I have a question about second language acquisition, or about language acquisition. Uh, When do you know if a student is fluent?
0: When do you know if a student is fluent? When a student brings me a $100 bill. No, I'm just kidding. Um, The answer to your question, that that was who again, Cassidy? Cassidy. Cassidy. Um, God, I can't remember remember names like that. Um, Cassidy, there is no answer to that question other than the following. You are fluent when you can do what you need to do in the language. You are fluent for that purpose. So there's no such thing as an overall fluency. There's fluency for particular purposes. So if your purpose is to do traveling in another country and you need to get a taxi and you need to get a hotel and that kind of stuff and you can do that, you're fluent in doing that. If, um, if your goal is to become a professor of physics and teach in Germany, um, and you can talk about physics in German and do lectures in German and write papers in German, then you're fluent in that. So fluency is a matter of context and purpose. How's that for an answer? Sounds
1: good. I hope like you were like listening it. live, Cassidy. She said that she was really hoping that her teacher would let them listen live in class
0: today. Well, I know her teacher, Leslie, because Leslie was only inviting me to do that talk via Skype, so I hope so. She probably is.
1: Cool. Good. Looks like we have an audience member here ready for a question.
0: Who that? Please give your first name only, sir.
1: My first name only would be Lee. 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 Is that
0: L-E-E-L-E-I-G-H? Is that L-I? Is that? E-E. E-E. Okay. It's like Lee. Correct. Like (laughs)
2: Lee. Lee, what's your question? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, Angelica. Uh, we're at Calico. We're into computers and technology here. And based on your massive learning and research, what advice would you have for us on how to pursue using computers best with everything you've learned about language acquisition?
0: Oh, gosh. Good Jeez. question. That's, that's, that's a great question. Yeah. that's like a... He doesn't like the
1: real questions. Why
0: don't you just <laughs> invite me to give a plenary or something? My God. You want a lot for five bucks, don't you? I tell you. Okay. Could you repeat the question? <laughs> no. Sounds like you're coming up with
1: your answer before the question's over sometimes. But <laughs> what would you advise us as people who work with computers and technology, how to take everything you've learned about research, about how language acquisition happens, and apply it effectively uh, with our students?
0: Uh, is it, can I ask you a question, Lee? Isn't the answer to that question inherent in the question itself? In a sense, if you ask how you take everything about, you know, about second language acquisition, everything else you know, and then apply it, successfully to the classroom. That means, because my answer would be, the technology is only going to be good in things you only do. or only successful and useful if you're our, if that's informed by what we know about language and language acquisition, right? So... I'm not sure how to answer that question.
1: Could you pick out one or two points where you see a disjunct between how computers are typically used in language instruction and how you think they might more profitably be used?
0: Yeah, most commercial publishers, for example, um, provide online stuff for learners to do with textbooks, um, and most of that stuff is just busy work, and students will tell you that. They don't learn much from it. Um, And what often happens is because there are not a lot of people writing textbooks who actually god i'm going to get in trouble for saying this who actually can are able to incorporate l2 stuff partly because either they themselves don't know or because the publisher constrains them and they can't because commercial publishing does that to you believe me i'm a textbook author so i know um and so you wind up with stuff on the page that then gets translated into (coughs) online stuff and it's not particularly conducive to learning so um so you get fill in the blank stuff and they have, you are sitting at your computer, you have to type in fill in the blank. Well, we all know fill in the blank stuff is not particularly useful for language learning. Um, and so what we've done is we've taken something that we know not particularly useful and we've just put it in, a, in, a, in an e-format. And that's still going on in 2016 more often than not. Um, so that's one example. Uh, another example, too, is I think there is a push, too much of a push for authentic materials and so I see technology being used to, um, to upload and work with authentic materials in the classroom. Language learners don't need authentic materials from native speaking sources, they need authentic materials that are authentic to them. So the same way that you wouldn't give a five-year-old um, uh, Dostoevsky to read, as he or she learns to read in kindergarten, you don't give a first or second year language learner stuff from native speakers to read because that's way beyond their level and appropriate. And you find stuff in te- that technology is that where they go incorporate stuff from online and the internet and use all that kind of stuff. And I think that's a bad use of technology as well. So you have to find stuff that's level appropriate um, at, in terms of input for, for students. And that's that's also interesting, but that's another issue. So um, And also the other thing I going to say is that you've got to be able, technology has to, and I think everybody knows this, That I, most everybody knows this, but I'll say it for those who don't, Technology has to follow the golden rule of um, break things up, and don't 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 give the learner too much to do at a given point in time. And if you have a big chunk of things for the learner to work on, break it up into small, and manageable bits as possible. Um, that's an important thing that technology can and should do. Um, teachers do that instinctively in the class. Some do it better than others, but but that doesn't always happen in technology. So, for example, you've got a big listening passage. You shouldn't have a big listening passage online. or a te- I mean, if you're going to use technology to work on listening comprehension skills, that listening passage should be broken up in some way for learners to have manageable chunks to work with. I, that's all I have to say, Lee. Sorry. Lee! Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Lee.
2: Dankeschön.
0: Dankeschön. Did I say that right? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I just it's listened. There. Okay. All right. We have uh, somebody stepping up for... Ooh, the cat
2: quiz. The Calico
0: quiz. We have a special quiz, not the SLA quiz, um, but we have a special, instead of a diva quiz, we usually have an SLA quiz and a diva quiz, um, because I am the diva of SLA. But uh, this week, because we're at Calico, we have a Calico cat quiz. So all the questions are about cats (laughs) and cat-related things. And would you please give us your first name?
3: Hello, I'm Betsy.
0: Hey, hello, Betsy. How are you doing?
3: I'm great. How's the conference going? I love it. Isn't it We've great? Had some great sessions so far.
0: Good, good, good. Are you staying yeah. through the weekend?
3: Uh, not through the weekend, no.
0: So when are you going back?
3: I uh, actually, I I'm not going back right away, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm also not staying through the weekend. <laughs> I'll let you all figure that out. Yes. That, that was Mysterious. like okay. Yes. My got I have secrets.
0: Okay, Eric, Mikey, get online and see if you can figure that out. In a mix of <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, okay, so Betsy, you ready for the calico slash cat quiz? Absolutely. Okay, here's item number one. You ready? I'm ready. The word feline Mm. is of what origin? Listen to all the choices.
3: Okay.
0: A, Greek. B, Latin. C, Arabic. D, Klingon.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm really tempted to choose Klingon. Um... I am gonna say Latin.
0: Is it Latin, Walter? Yes, it is. Ding 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 ding, ding. A little bit of knowledge here. Wait,
3: wait, wait a second. Just uh, how many questions are there? And three. There's three questions. And what happens if I get a certain number right?
0: You get uh, 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 two yeah, questions right, you get a date with Walter. Three questions, you get a date with me. <laughs> no just kidding. Uh, uh, do
3: what, you, how do I get a date with Angelica? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You have to answer the bonus fourth question, (laughs) which I will make up on the spot. And that's when we shut the microphones down so nobody can hear what we're saying, okay. All right, and just so you know, feline comes from Latin felis, which is the noun for cat, and then felinus, which is the adjective, and then feline comes from that, just in case you wanna know these things. Wonderful. All right, I do have a background in historical linguistics, too, so, okay. All right, number two. So with number two, you get a button, If you get the third prize, you get a tea with BVP mug. So you want to get all three right. Okay. So number two, which actress has not played Catwoman on the TV or on the big screen? Ready? Okay. A, this is who has not played. Hmm. A, Julie Newmar. B, Halle Berry. C, Michelle Pfeiffer. D, Roseanne Barr.
3: Um, is, Is Roseanne Barr, is that her name? Is is that really her name? Mm-hmm. I thought she was just Roseanne.
0: Yeah, she goes back and forth. She
3: goes back and <laughs> forth. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say D, Roseanne Barr.
0: Perfect answer, there you go, Roseanne Barr, yes, exactly, okay, here's your button, there you go, yay, okay, you get a button. Right. Oh, wow, it's like cumulative, but like I yeah, get it. the yeah. button, but and now, uh-huh, n- number uh-huh. three, you mm. get a mug, you get one of these beautiful tea with beefy BVP mugs, wow. here. Okay. you do Ooh, have nice. a hard
2: time saying your own initials, don't you? I
0: know, man. I tell you, I need to, I tell you, I'm waiting for that guy, where's that guy with a martini, where is he? Yeah, no yeah. kidding, Okay, where is he? I need that pub crawl, okay, number three, last question, the comic strip cat Garfield, Is often at odds with his human friend John and his dog. Mm -hmm. What is the dog's name? Odie. God, this is Eric on the (laughs) phone. (laughs) All right, there you go. (laughs) Don't you want to hear my choices though?
3: (laughs) No. Yes, you do. Actually, you do. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't wait for the choices. I'm sorry. I was a little jumping the gun. Just for that, I'm taking
0: the mug back. (gasps) Let me do the choices, then you can give your nickname. I'll I'll be
3: good, I promise. Okay,
0: so is it A, Otis, B, Odie, C Opie D Donald Trump.
3: I think it's it's actually harder when you say the choices because then it gets confusing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I knew it was Odie before, but now I'm thinking like
0: Otis. But it's Odie. It's Odie. <laughs> Odie Odie Odie, Odie, Yo. Okay, there you go. All right, big winner. There we go. Thank you, Betsy. Awesome. Thanks for playing. Thank you. That was great. Yay. And we still have an SLA quiz. We got another mug to give away. for whoever wants to try to win a mug with the SLA challenge quiz, and if you are avid listeners of Tea with BVP, I got news for you. Since this is our last show of the season, I went back to all the SLA challenge quizzes and I randomly grabbed three questions. So these Ooh. are these are these are pre-owned questions. How do they call it when like, you have a car? You're buying a used car, pre-owned. Yes. Pre-owned. These are pre-owned questions. So um, if you want to do the SLA challenge quiz, let us know. Okay, what do we got on Mixler? What do we got on? Angelica, you got a bunch of things there. What is that? Yeah,
2: I do. Robbie has a question. Hey, Robbie. In an upper-level high school world language course in which students like the language but are nevertheless highly motivated by grades, how would you ensure that they are building their working lexicon to transcend first-year words like interesting and park? How many words on a vocab list is too many? How should students be assessed for vocabulary acquisition?
1: Robbie sent this question in on email too.
2: I know, and I told Robbie to resend it on Mixler. Okay. Just, just to make sure that we address it.
0: Just for that because Robbie's being so pushy, I'm not gonna answer the question. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Okay, Robbie, first of all, I have to say that we don't like to hear the word lists. We don't we don't really wanna talk about lists of vocabulary items, we want people to learn because that sounds kind of funny to me. Um, so, um, and I think what you're saying is how do you get them to a level where they're using more sophisticated vocabulary or vocabularies beyond the first year? Is that what he's asking, Angelica? Is that what you're interpreting the question? Yeah, to I think so. Okay. Um, that only happens through interaction with content that is is that level. And again, l- l- words, just like anything else, are learned through the input. They're not memorized. You know, they're not done through practice. We're not sure what memorization of vocabulary does if anything for um lexical acquisition the jury's out on that there are people who think it helps there are people who don't think it helps the research is, goes both ways um any kind of actual overt practice of vocabulary uh the um it, it depends on what model of of uh, lexical acquisition you're looking at also how you test these things so um but what is clear is that um just like anything else in language frequency of vocabulary stuff in the input um, is, a, is a huge predictor of how things get learned. So if you want them to move beyond words like interesting and park, they have to hear other kinds of words in the input a lot. Um, so what you'll need at the upper levels are interesting things that are level-appropriate um, that they can read and reread, and, and you work things through the input and interactive tasks to work those things through in the input and so on. Um, but there's no magic number. You ask for lists. I can't tell you that, you know, 300 words, 500 words, 200 words, that's just, and there's no list out there you're going to consult. Um, So, um, and and when you look at proficiency levels, like actual proficiency levels, you're not gonna find any lists of words within those levels. So to to be intermediate mid or to be advanced mid, um, suggests some things about what you can talk about, but not the specifics. So, for example, if you're intermediate, mid, you can, you're able to talk and listen about and write about things that are in your real, your concrete world, yourself, your family, your daily life, and things like that. You can you know, solve, solve routine things. That suggests some items, of course, right? But, but not a complete list. And same thing with advanced. Um, and as you move up the actual scale, for example, you, you, you're, it becomes less and less clear what topics are. Because once you get to superior and distinguished, the world just explodes in terms of what you can talk about and not talk about. So for example, in English, I'm a distinguished speaker of second language stuff, for example. But I'm probably not a distinguished speaker of particle physics, even though I read about particle physics all the time because I, I'm so fascinated by quantum mechanics. Um, but I I don't think I could give a lecture on it, okay, so, uh, and I don't, the vocabulary doesn't roll off my tongue, um, the way SLA vocabulary does, and again, you can just see there it has to do with frequency in the input and interaction with that topic over and over again, so, um, so there's no, again, no answer to your question about lists, um, but you've got to find the materials that, that, that are going to sustain their interest, so they keep interacting with the same words and same content in repeated, in repeated linguistic contexts and, and meaningful contexts.
2: But how do you assess that then? How do you assess vocabulary acquisition?
0: Um, I would not assess. I don't I like assessing anything separate from anything else. You assess ability to do stuff with language. So you make a target like I want them to be advanced mid, at, after four or five years of Spanish, for example. Well, then I assess that. And whatever vocabulary is, helps with that just gets dragged along with that. So just like I wouldn't, I wouldn't assess, assess grammar and I wouldn't assess uh, pronunciation. I wouldn't assess anything. I would never isolate language um, from communication that way. Unless I was teaching a linguistics class, and that would be different. So,
2: Great. Thank you.
0: You're welcome, Angelica. So friendly. She's such a friendly girl. Isn't she just <laughs> friendly? Must be that. Sometimes. It's just... What? Oh, I mean... <laughs> oh. I'm mean getting out of the way. Here I go. Rude. Fight, fight. Okay. All right. We have an SLA challenge quiz. Here we go. Somebody's going to step up to the mic this is gonna be fun this is gonna be fun okay all right go tell everybody your name please Uh put your face close to the mic and my first name is Dan Dan okay we got more Dans than I don't know <laughs> than what and Dan have than you listened Walters. to more
2: Dans
1: than I have
0: this is my fifth or sixth episode so you may have heard these questions before maybe okay all right these are some I got some I randomly picked these, so some some are, one's easy, Me, I don't know, I can't tell you. I'm ready to be embarrassed. Okay, so let's see, Um, all right. Question number one, Dan, are you ready? Yes. Okay. What motivates learners to acquire do for yes, no questions in English? A, whether or not they have something similar in the first language, B, the underlying realization that English verbs do not move to get tense features checked. C, teachers who beat it into them with threats of punishment if they don't do it right. I'm leaning strongly towards two. So B, the underlying realization that English verbs do not move to get tense features checked. Ding, 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 this is correct, yes. English has do support. Um, because verbs cannot um, inflect for morphology and therefore can't climb up the tree and do all the neat little things they do in other languages like Spanish and French and Portuguese and Italian and Turkish and other languages. Okay. Good for you. Dan, you're on your way to a button. Number two, learners regularly demonstrate that they have more underlying competence than what they could have explicitly learned, what they could have gotten from the input. What is this situation called? A, overgeneralization. B, Poverty of the stimulus. C. Fossilization. D. I have a fourth one this time. D. Lucky guessing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, again, it's uh, choice B. B. Poverty of the stimulus. And the fact that students, learners come to know more than they've been exposed to. Right. That. That's what it's called. Ding, 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 ding. Awesome. Good yeah. Go, Dan. All right. Let's give him a button. Come here, Walter. Give All him a right. button. Come on. Put that button on. I want to see that button on I'll before you get your it on third myself, question. Thank you. <laughs> I ain't touching you. I might get slapped with a lawsuit or something. Okay. All right, number three, of the following, which position has virtually no research support? A, acquisition is constrained by internal mechanisms. B, there is staged development in the acquisition of language. C, there is, little, uh, there is little to no variation among learners in the rate of acquisition. D, Donald Trump is the center of the universe. You can throw D away, that's just for fun. I just threw that in there, so it's really A, B, or C. I'm looking for the wrong answer, though, right? Yeah, the, had, no. which position has virtually no research support? No D research
2: is support. has no
0: research yeah, support. Yeah, the Trump one uh, that's seems why like no throw, I know that's the obvious one. That's why I threw it out. I just threw it in there for fun, and I'm saying no. Okay, well, let's start over. Okay, so virtually no research support for A, acquisition is constrained by internal mechanisms. There seems to be support for that. B, there is stage development in the acquisition of language. Sure, yes. There is little to no variation among learners in the rate of acquisition. I guess we'll go with C. See? Ding, 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 awesome. ding. Awesome. Go,
2: Dan. Actually, there's a lot
0: of research that shows there's one of the individual differences, outcomes, or results of that kind of research is how <laughs> widely learners vary and how fast or how slow they are in getting things and moving along the continuum acquisition and so on. So good for you, Dan. Okay, thank you so thank much. Thank you for playing. Show everybody your mug. Hold it up. Be proud. There Ta-da. you go. All right. There you go. Turn Are you right-handed it or left-handed? I am left-handed. You're left-handed. Oh, so we have to get him a left-handed mug so he can see it on the side. I think it is a left-handed mug for others to see it. Yeah, exactly. you go. There you go. You'll have to drink in front of a mirror so you can go like this. Okay. That's how I always drink. Uh, I had a feeling. All right. There you go. You can have this as a souvenir, too. There's your quiz. Take that. Thank you. Angelica will sign it for you later. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dan. All right. Thanks, Dan. Whew. God, is it just me? It's hot in here. Am I going through the change? What is this? It's like, it's like really warm in here.
2: <laughs> I'm always cold, so I'm
0: not warm.
1: It's pretty warm. That's what here.
0: Walter would say. <laughs> what? <laughs> that she's cold and never warm. Oh. <laughs> no, right. I would never say that about it. Yeah, her. yeah okay. No, you would never say that about it. Okay, any more questions coming up? Mm-hmm. Walter, oh, you yeah, got those you 14 pages me? of questions. Come on. Yeah. Okay, Otherwise, ready? I have to do the pub crawl again.
1: It's from Teresa or <laughs> Teresa. If our role as, lang- uh, sorry, as teachers is to help our students acquire language, what is the role of the student in the classroom? That's not the end. There's a lot more of this written here. So should they be held to certain accountability standards for their own acquisition? What about things like homework? As educators in foreign language, should we do away completely with our responsibilities to help them learn things like multitasking and organizational skills? Should we do any of this? Should we do away with this, rather, to only focus on ad- acquisition since we have such little time with
0: them? There's more, too, but I'll stop there. I, I'm not sure what that part was about multitasking and so on.
1: Should those be things that – I'm assuming this is a K-12 teacher particularly. Uh, should we be focusing on those skills in the classroom as well, helping them to to uh, be more organized and be able to multitask?
0: No, you don't want them multitasking with a language learning. You want them focused um, so they can um, – have better chances of, of comprehending language that they're exposed to. Um, so you don't want them doing multiple things at once.
1: But the primary question, I think, is what's the role of the student in the classroom, uh, and how do things like homework and other things contribute to that?
0: Right. Again, it depends. it depends on your goals. Let's just assume that you actually are interested in acquisition, so you're not interested in learning or explicit learning and filling in the blanks and all that kind of stuff. If you're actually interested in acquisition, the job of the learner then becomes one of constantly demonstrating comprehension. At least in the early stages, um, and so the kinds of things you make them do is homework. The kinds of things you make them responsible for is uh, constantly demonstrate that they are comprehending what is what is being talked about, and so on. Um, and the other thing that you have to hold them accountable for is being um, attentive interactors that it's level appropriate. So if you're in a classroom at the beginning level, for example, they have to be able to say one word responses or yes, no, or show some kind of engagement. You have to hold them responsible in terms of their part participation at that level. As they move along the continuum, of course, then um, is there eking out more phrases, you know, two word, multi word phrases and sentences and so on. And then you hold them accountable at that for that level. Um, so they have to be interactive in class as well with you. Because um, you, you don't want, at In-11, not just K through 12, but this is university as well. You don't want, there's nothing about language acquisition that's passive, you don't want people just sitting there. Um, so so teachers have to push learners um, to be active, and I mean active in that real sense of active comprehenders. Um, and everybody finds their own way, everybody finds her own way to do that. So um, there's, no, there's no one way to do that. Um, in addition, then again on homework, um, this is why I like On, this is where technology can come in handy. Technology makes learners accountable if you construct the online materials well. Um, so that learners can't do them in some mindless fashion the way they often do with some of the commercial materials I made reference to earlier. So if you construct the material such that they actually have to think through what they're comprehending and think through how they're responding. Even if they're just doing yes, no, or one word responses, or picking from A, B, and C choices, or D choices like Dan just did in this LA quiz, um, then um, you have them actively engage in that online input, for example. So there are things that you can can make learners um, active, active learners, um, and, and, and engage with the input. So it's all about getting them engaged and demonstrating engagement all along. I'll stop there.
1: All right. Just a little note here from Teresa as well. She says, thanks for all you do.
0: Oh, you're welcome. To I yourself. love
1: hearing Angelica speak German.
0: Speak some German, Angelica.
1: Walter for president. <laughs> I want to have tea with BVP while he sings show tunes.
0: <laughs> so. Excellent. It's a good summary. I don't know if I could drink and sing at the same time. Well, I've of course been, you can. I've been known to drink and sing at the same time, but that's a different story. Okay. Thank you, Teresa. That was a good question. All right. Any questions from the audience? What do we have there? Luca, we have anything from the, nobody? All right. No questions from the audience. I know you're dying. You're dying to ask a question, aren't you? You look at you, you're dying to ask a question.
2: Well, while he is coming up, I have a question from David.
0: Okay, David, online David.
2: Yes, Mixler, David. Is Mix- Bill supporting evaluating students on engagement in the classroom, question uh, mark?
0: Not evaluating them per se, um, in the sense of giving them a grade how engaged we are, you can't do that. But what you do is create activities so that they are engaged. Um, and maximizing, because everybody's different too. So, for example, Victoria and Hema and Dan and Betsy and Todd are all in my class, right? Well, Victoria's a little shyer than Dan, so Dan's gonna speak up more than Victoria, but maybe in a group work, she's gonna talk more, do something more. Or maybe in a response format with online, she's just there doing it like anybody else, but she just doesn't wanna speak up in class. She doesn't wanna be a public figure in class, right? So, I cannot assign a grade to Victoria for her engagement just because she doesn't wanna be front and center. the way. Dan wants to be front and center. So that's why I don't, I don't want to talk about grading engagement that way. You just create tasks that force them to be engaged. And then that way, it just happens naturally. Great. There's a lull. I love lulls. <laughs> I love lulls. <laughs> I love the word lull. That's a lot of
2: lulls. yeah. It's, it's fun to say lull. Lull, lulls, lulls. OK,
1: I have one more question here. And it's a little complicated. God, Walter,
0: look. How much time do we have left? Luke is going to ask me a complicated question at no. the end. It's OK. You can do it. You, you can, can do it. Do it's it.
1: a short question, though. So. This is Who are you calling short? This is <laughs> from James. James asks, or actually he comments, but he wants to hear your opinion. He says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Dan Everett's critique of the concept of universal grammar. His work on the, I'm going to butcher this name, Paraha, indicates that there is a language that doesn't have the characteristics described by Chomsky's universal grammar.
0: Um, that's Dan Everett's take on Paraha. Um I call it the Piranha language, because it is from the Amazon. Um, it, there's, uh, there is ample criticism out there from people like Steven Pinker and Noam Chomsky himself um, and others that is far better than what I could do. Um, and of course, I'm falling on that side, because that's the framework I work in. And my own looking at Dan Ebert's work is sometimes you look for things, y- you don't want to see things, and so you don't find them. And what you're doing is you're looking at the wrong thing. Um, and, and some of the things that Chomsky's talked about in terms that are part of universal grammar um, are actually there in the data that Dan Everett has. He just didn't see them as such. And that's the kind of stuff that Steve Pinker and, uh, and, and Noam Chomsky, for example, are talking about. So I fall on that side of things.
1: All right wasn't so bad of a question after all.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, but I thought you were going to make me give examples, which I can't do off the top of my head because it's been a long time. It's been about five <laughs> or six years since I looked at that stuff. But, yeah. Um, Luke is giving me the five-minute sign. At least I think that was the five-minute sign. Was that a five or an S? S minutes? <laughs> this young man here was going to come up and ask a question or do yeah, something. Yeah, I thought so, too. Yeah. He changed his mind. He changed his mind. Don't be shy. Come on. This is the problem of being live, you see. You get called. on. tell you, you get to sit in the front row. Dan came up. Hema came up. Betsy came up. There you go. Oh, look. He's red as a tomato. Poor kid. Oh. Bill. It's, I know. You make I, them feel so much rude. better about coming up and hey, talking. Hey, what can I say? Oh. Unbelievable. But look, we're, not, we're so nice. Look at us. Have I, have I been? Did Dan, did I yell at you? No, no. Betsy, did I do anything to embarrass you? I did not. <laughs> No, hello. <laughs> okay, uh, go ahead and tell us your name. My name is Gabriel, and uh, this is I'm red because of the red eye flight. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> okay, so Gabriel, what's your what's your question? What's your comment? Uh, uh, my comment is, uh, if you were going to do um, Destinos again today huh? with today's technology, what would you do differently, or Uh-oh. what would you do? Mm -hmm. Oh, what would I do differently? Oh, that's a really good idea. What would I do differently is I would segmentize the episodes so that you can watch the episodes with embedded things in them. So that rather than watch a 30-minute episode, you can actually have places where it pauses and you can do things with it for one thing. That's one one thing I would do. I'd also get rid of the explicit teaching that's in there. I threw that in because that's what we had to do in those days. I mean, it wasn't explicit teaching grammar, but largely vocabulary and things. Um, And... um, I think I would do things. I don't know what else I would do at this point. I have to that's a really good question, Gabriel. Actually, I probably wouldn't work on Destinos right now. You know, that show almost killed me. <laughs> I my my relationship crumbled because of that. I lost hair because of that. I went in the mental institution because of that. I no, I didn't go to the mental institution. I almost did. It just that show almost killed me. It was 4 years of work that I almost died doing. Um, so, um, and I know it's a big success, and a lot of people like that, and, and I'm not going to take that away from people, but but it was really rough on me. But with that said, um, if I did have to do it again, or I thought about it, I would I would do something in which I could make each episode much more interactive for the learner during the actual episode.
1: Wonderful, thank you.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for the question. Thank that was you, a good Gabrielle. question. Okay. Thank you. All right then. Do we have to wrap up, Luca? Is that what I'm saying? What time is it? Oh it's my God, 356. Oh, we got like one more minute. Who can we talk about? Who's not here? Oh, I, did I say that out loud? Oh my God. Just kidding. Bill. We don't talk about people. Never. We, we never. We don't talk about never. people. No, no, we don't.
2: Only Donald Trump, exactly. Only
0: Donald. I don't even talk about him. I don't talk about anybody.
1: <laughs> you just bring him up on a regular basis. Okay.
0: So don't forget, everybody. Uh, I just because Luca wants me to do this again, don't forget the pub crawl. So meet tomorrow at six PM in the lobby of the Kellogg Center. Tomorrow, Friday, May thirteenth. Again, I'm gonna go from Friday thirteenth. My gosh. Who picked this day for a who picked this day for a for a conference? My gosh. Okay, all right then, we're gonna start wrapping up because uh, we have to do our acknowledgements and they take some time. So first of all, we want to acknowledge Calico for allowing us to be here in the exhibit hall um, and for coming to East Lansing. Give everybody a big hand for Calico for coming to East Lansing. Thank you so much. And as usual, I'd like to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago, who's over there on the soundboard and the keyboard, our media producer and runaround guy, Luca Giappone, who's there, the talented and trusted rustler, doorman, bouncer, Dustin DeFelice, who's right there. Yay. Um, Our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney, who's not here. We had to allow him to work the front desk today here at, at Calico, so he's not with us. And we're saying goodbye, finally, to our most excellent intern, Emma Dunn, who's with us all semester. We're gonna miss her. She's graduated and she's now teaching French. We wanna thank the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, AKA CELTA, booth right over there with CLEAR. We wanna thank the College of Arts and Letters at MSU, our Dean, Christopher Long. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the Center for Language Teaching Advancement the College of Arts and Letters, or any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. They certainly don't want me putting words in their, their mouths. And of course, I want to thank all of you listeners out there and the crowd here at, um, at Calico today. Thank you for coming. Daniel, you can cue the music anytime. There he goes, he's so good. This is our last show of the season. So use the summer to review, get caught up on our previous 27 shows, like summer reruns. We will be back on August 25th. There's the date. Woo-hoo. So same time, same station, Thursday. My time, sir. No, you're not. <laughs> Until then, have a great weekend. Have a great summer. Those of you at Calco, have a great rest of the conference. And happy second language acquisition to everybody. Bye bye. Cheers. Jay.
1: Javier Wiedersehen.
0: Yes,
2: auf Wiedersehen.